0: Hi, I'm Robert Jeffress, and I'm glad to serve as your Bible teacher every day on this great radio station on today's edition of Pathway to Victory. You know, if we're going to defeat Satan's real plan to destroy our life... By the way, how many of you believe what the Bible says, that Satan does have a plan to destroy your life? If you believe what God's Word says, that he has a scheme, he has a method, it's personalized to destroy your life, the best way to defeat that plan is to recognize what strategy he's using with you right now.
1: Welcome to Pathway to Victory with author and pastor, Dr. Robert Jeffress. You know, there are days when we just don't feel like going to church or reading our Bible, but those are the times that we need God the most because it means that we are under spiritual attack. Today on Pathway to Victory... Dr. Robert Jeffress reveals Satan's plan to turn our hearts away from God. Now, here's our Bible teacher to introduce today's message. Dr. Jeffress? Thanks, David, and welcome again to Pathway to Victory. Look around you. Scroll through
0: today's headlines online. Think back on the argument with your spouse, your child, somebody you once called friend. Our world in general, and our individual worlds in particular, frequently appear out of control. Well, even when the darkness of this world overshadows God's plan for your life, even when it appears that evil is winning over good, God will ultimately triumph over Satan. And that's why we're conducting a comprehensive study right now called the Divine Defense. You see, defeat is Satan's middle name. And I want you to learn the biblical prescription for having victory over his destructive ways. When you put on the full armor of God, (laughs) Satan doesn't have a prayer. I've written a helpful resource on this topic for you that holds the biblical keys for victory over the evil one. And when you give a generous gift to support the ministry of Pathway to Victory, I'll send you a copy of my best-selling book. It's titled, The Divine Defense. Six Simple Strategies for Winning Your Biggest Battles. And as an added bonus, I'd also like to send you a helpful brochure with seven strategy points from Ephesians 6, providing biblical instruction on how to defend yourself against spiritual attack. The brochure is titled, Equipped for Battle, and a copy is yours along with my book, The Divine Defense, when you give a generous gift to Pathway to Victory. I'll say more about the book and other resources later on. But right now, let's dig further into this subject together. I've titled today's study, Blueprint for Your Destruction. Do you realize that you have an enemy, an adversary, who is absolutely intent on deceiving you about his power or lack thereof? And not only does Satan have a devious objective to destroy everything valuable to you, he also has a strategy to fulfill those objectives. Look at Job chapter 1 verse 1, where we see Satan using discouragement to humiliate God before all of his creation. Job 1 verse 1 says, there was a man in the land of Uz whose name was Job, and that man was blameless, upright, fearing God, and turning away from evil. And then we get a glimpse at the drama behind the drama that's going on in heaven. God pointing to earth directed Satan's attention to this main character on the stage named Job. Look at verse 8. Then the Lord said to Satan, have you considered my servant Job? For there is no one like him on the earth, a blameless, an upright man, fearing God and turning away from evil." So God granted Satan limited permission to attack his servant Job. Look at verse 12. Then the Lord said to Satan, Behold, all that Job has is now in your power. Only do not put forth your hands on him. That is, don't kill him. So Satan departed from the presence of the Lord. And for the next two chapters, we see Satan's relentless attacks against God's servant Job. One day, Job was sitting on the ash heap of his incinerated possessions, his dead children, his broken health. And Job's wife came to him, look at verse nine of chapter two and said, do you still hold fast your integrity? Why not curse God and die? You see that was Satan's objective, to turn Job away from worshiping God by sending so many tragedies into his life that Job would conclude, worshiping God really isn't worthwhile. And Satan continues that same strategy in your life today. Satan's first strategy to destroy everything important to us in life is to discourage us from worshiping God. But he has a second strategy, and that is to distract you from serving God. To distract you from serving God. If Satan can't be successful in causing you to all and out reject God, maybe he can just get you To ignore God. And that's what he does through distractions. It is a very subtle strategy. But also a very powerful strategy. How can Satan cause you to simply. Neglect God in your everyday life. It's through what a generation ago. Used to call. Worldliness. Have you heard that term before. Worldliness. Worldliness in your life. Might manifest itself in any number of ways. Perhaps it's by choosing to watch another rerun of your favorite uh, uh, comedy on television late at night instead of spending time in God's Word. Maybe it's by allowing your emotional well-being to be determined by the ups and downs of the stock market. Maybe it's by allowing your mind to be preoccupied with your child's social standing in school during a Sunday morning worship service instead of listening to the Word of God. Jesus talked about the power of worldliness in Luke chapter 8. Would you turn there for a moment? Luke chapter 8. Remember, Luke 8 is the parable of the soils. And Jesus was answering the question, why is it that not everyone who hears the word of God responds to the word of God? And Jesus used this uh, agricultural analogy. He said it's like seed that is cast onto the soil... And what happens to that seed is determined by what kind of soil the seed falls on. The seed, of course, represented the Word of God. The different kinds of soil represented the different responses, different conditions of the human heart. But the third kind of soil is the one that's relevant to our discussion today. Look at verse 14 of Luke 8. The seed which fell among the thorns, these are the ones who have heard... And as they go on their way, they are choked with worries and riches and pleasures of this life, and they bring no fruit to maturity. Now, Jesus uses that analogy to describe the person who receives the Word of God. He begins to grow in his faith, but then something chokes out his love, his devotion to God. And Jesus mentions three of those weeds, three of those distractions that destroy our relationship with God. Notice what they are. First of all, he mentions worry. Worry can be a tremendous distraction to you in your relationship with God. Somebody has said that worry is a thin stream trickling through the mind that if left unchecked will cut a deep channel. ...that will drain all of your thoughts and emotions. Isn't that a great description of worry? It keeps us from being focused on God. Have you ever had this experience before? doesn't matter what you're doing. Perhaps you're busy at work being productive. Maybe you're uh, in a Sunday morning worship service. Maybe like our family, you went to the fair on Friday night... ...having a great time when suddenly out of nowhere... ...this alien thought enters into your mind... And it always begins with the same two words. What if? What if I lose my job? What if this doctor's report turns out badly? What if my mate chooses to abandon me? What if? What if? What if? What if? And all of a sudden, it doesn't matter if we're working, worshiping, playing. All of a sudden, that thought grabs hold of us and it strangles the life out of us. We are paralyzed by fear. And the last thing we feel like doing is reading the Bible or praying. We're seized. We are gripped by worry. Now, where does that emotion of worry come from? 2 Timothy 1.7 says, For God has not given us the spirit of fear, but of love, power, and of a sound mind. So if it doesn't come from God, where does worry come from? Here's a hint. I read a story recently that said that a study showed that 90% Two percent of all of the things we worry about never come true. did you know that ninety two percent of the things we worry about never come true. they are lies, they are deceptions john eight forty four says Satan is a liar and he is the father of all lies. So what he wants to do if he can't cause you to out and out reject God, he wants you to be distracted from God. By wrapping his tentacles around your emotions and thoughts through worry. That's what Jesus is talking about. He's talking about a Christian who is choked to death by the worries of this world. He has a second distraction that he uses, and that is riches. Jesus talked about worries, and then he talked about riches. Now, I know what you're thinking. Most of you are thinking, well, at least that doesn't apply to me. Of all the things I worry about, having too much money is not one of them. You might want to think again. See, the fact is, even though you may not have a six-figure income or a seven-figure net worth, compared to the rest of the world, almost every one of us in this room is wealthy. The fact is, if you have a roof over your head tonight, if you know where your next meal is coming from, if you have more than two changes of clothes, you are wealthy by the world's standard. But even if you don't accept that proposition that you're wealthy, which I want you to understand from what Jesus is saying is, it's not only having too much money that can be a distraction in life and in your relationship with God, having too little money can also be a powerful distraction in life. In fact, we all know the verse, Matthew six twenty four: you cannot serve God and money. Have you ever heard that before? You cannot serve God and money. What most people don't realize is when Jesus preached that truth, he wasn't preaching to wealthy people. That's part of the Sermon on the Mount. It was given to the Christ followers, to the multitudes, to the poor people who populated the earth. Jesus said to the poor people, you cannot serve God and money. And that scene in the next verse, Matthew six twenty-five, when he said, for this reason, I say to you, do not be anxious about your life, as to what you will eat or what you will drink, nor for your body as to what you will put on, is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Jesus wasn't speaking to people who had too much. He was speaking to people who had too little in their minds and they were worried about where their next meal was coming from, how they were going to feed themselves or clothe their children. And he said, you need to understand That this over-concern about money can strangle out your love for God. No man can serve God and money. Now, that was 2,000 years ago. 2,000 years later, not that much has changed. Most of us in this room today, most of us watching on television, we're not concerned with having too much money. We're concerned that we don't have enough, aren't we? that we're not going to have enough to take care of ourselves and our family. And by the way, the financial industry spends hundreds of millions of dollars to feed that fear that we're not going to have enough. Financial investment advisors tell us that unless we've accumulated millions of dollars by the time we reach age 65, we're destined to eat oatmeal the rest of our days. You know, so we're overwhelmed by fear. Or the insurance industry tells us, unless we take out these expensive nursing home policies, we're destined to be bankrupt in our senior adult years. Or our young parents are told early on, even before they had their first child, that you better start setting aside thousands of dollars every month for your future children's education or they're going to be uneducated idiots the rest of their lives, you know. You won't be able to afford an education for them. Now... The truth is, there is good, sound financial planning that we ought to engage in. But when it is rooted in fear, paralyzing fear that we're not going to have enough, it becomes a distraction to us from serving God. More than 100 years ago, the French historian Alexis de Tocqueville spent time here in this country observing our way of life, and he came to this conclusion. He said, I know of no other country where the love of money has such a grip on men's hearts as the United States. That's why a concern for money, not just having too much, but having too little, is an enemy to our faith. Paul said it this way in First Timothy 6.10. Remember what he says? He said, for the love of money... He didn't say for money. He said the love of money, the obsession with money is the root of all sorts of evil. And some by longing for it have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many a pang. Jesus mentions a third distraction from our relationship with God. He talked about worries. He talked about riches. Thirdly, he talks about the pleasures of this life. Now, hear me very clearly here. Jesus is not condemning pleasure. God meant more for us than simply to endure this life. He wants us to enjoy life. And pleasure, when engaged in in the right way, can actually draw us closer to God. Now, Satan understands that. He understands the power of pleasure to make us love God more and to be more thankful to him. So what Satan wants to do is to pervert, to twist God's plan for pleasure. And he does so by having Christians go to one of two extremes when it comes to this topic of pleasure. One extreme is to abstain from pleasure. That is, we, you know, get to this point in our spiritual life where we say, you know, I'm going to really be sold out to Jesus Christ, so I'm going to give up everything enjoyable in my life. I'm not going to waste 30 minutes watching an inane television program, even though I enjoy it. I'm going to give up television, and I'm going to give up eating Mexican food, even though I love Mexican food. You know, I want to draw closer to God, so I'm going to give up Mexican food. And I'm not going to buy myself anything that I don't need. Even if I see a shirt or a a dress that I want. And even though I have the money to buy it. And even though I want to do it just for the sake of doing it. I'm not going to be wasteful like that. I'm going to abstain from all pleasure in life. And when we do that, we don't realize we are playing into the enemy's plan to destroy our life. God doesn't want us to abstain from pleasure. The fact is, pleasure is a part of his plan for our life. C.S. Lewis recognized that. Remember his book, The Screwtape Letters? It's uh, the correspondence between the senior demon, Screwtape, and his neophyte uh, nephew demon. And he talks to him about the enemy, talking about God and his plan. Listen to what Uncle Screwtape says to his nephew about pleasure. He said, never forget... That when we are dealing with pleasure in its healthy and normal and satisfying form, we are in a sense on the enemy's ground, talking about God. I know we have won many a soul through pleasure. All the same, it is God's invention, not ours. He made the pleasures. All of our research so far has not enabled us to produce one. All we can do is to encourage the humans to take the pleasures which our enemy has produced, to take it at times or in ways or degrees in which he has forbidden. Pleasure is a part of God's plan for your life. Remember what Solomon said in Ecclesiastes chapter 2, verses 24 and 25. He said, there is nothing better for a man than to eat and to drink and to tell himself that his labor is good. This also I have seen that it is from the hand of God. Of God. For who can eat and who can have enjoyment without Him? Satan's one strategy with pleasure is to get you to abstain from it, at least for a while. But if he can't succeed there, then the other extreme is to overindulge in pleasure. That is to make it the focus of your life. And that's the extreme of most Americans today. Last year, Americans spent more than $500 billion on the pursuit of pleasure. Lake houses, vacations, sports activities, all of these things in order to try to wring a little enjoyment out of the brief life we have here on earth. Now, here's the problem when we overindulge in pleasure, especially those of us who are Christians. The fact that we concentrate so much on traveling and vacationing and sports activities, all those things keep God's people in perpetual motion so that finally when Sunday comes, we are so exhausted we can't even drag ourselves and our children to church. We are worn out from entertaining ourselves to death. And that's the downside of pleasure. It becomes a distraction in our relationship with God. The Apostle Paul warned against that extreme in Second Timothy 3, verses 2 and 4. He warned about those who have become lovers of self and lovers of pleasure rather than being lovers of God. Pleasure can be a distraction, a powerful distraction in your relationship with God. And maybe one of, uh, some of you here today, you don't vacation that much. You don't take out-of-town trips. You're not involved in that many sports activities. But maybe, just maybe, you're working yourself to death right now. You don't feel like you have time for the things of God because you're working yourself to death planning for that magical age of 65 when you can enter the golden years known as retirement. A period of time in life When you can spend the final 20 years of your life doing nothing more productive than waking up each day and saying, how am I going to entertain myself today? May I remind you, retirement is not a biblical concept. God never meant for us to retire from being productive especially spiritually productive people. That has never been a part of his life. It has never been a part of God's plan for us to spend a period of time in life concentrating solely on entertaining ourselves. That is against God's plan. And by the way, one reason people are working so hard and depriving themselves, they think they have to uh, pile up this pile of money so that they can spend 20 years just living off their investments. Hardly anybody can do that. That is not God's plan for your life anyway. When you spend any period of time, whether it's six months, a year, or 10 years, focus solely on yourself. You are sowing the seeds for spiritual destruction in your life. Now, I'm not saying you have to keep working at the same job you worked at all of your life until the day you drop. What I am saying is God wants every part of your life, every period of your life to be God-focused, others-focused, and not self-focused. This pursuit of retirement, the retirement dream, entertaining ourselves, getting in a Winnebago and uh, traveling across America and harassing your kids, that is not a part of God's plan for your life, okay? God wants you to be productive until the day you die. No, seriously. What has become a distraction for you in your relationship with God? What is it right this very moment that is distracting you from developing your relationship with God? Have you allowed the what-ifs of worry to strangle out your desire to know God? Has money, an obsession with money, either earning it, spending it, or saving it, has that become the central part of your life? Have you allowed pleasure, the pursuit of pleasure, to become the grand obsession of your life? You know, if we're going to defeat Satan's real plan... To destroy our life. By the way, how many of you believe what the Bible says? That Satan does have a plan to destroy your life. If you believe what God's word says, that he has a scheme, he has a method, it's personalized to destroy your life. The best way to defeat that plan is to recognize what strategy he's using with you right now. Someone is listening to my voice right now. And you know without a doubt that Satan has been messing with your mind. He's been using these sinister methods to undermine your peace, happiness, and contentment. Well, I'm urging you to follow this entire series on Pathway to Victory. We're calling it The Divine Defense. God never intended His children to walk onto the battlefield without protection. So, let me encourage you to be intentional about learning more about this topic of spiritual warfare. Prepared Christians are equipped for the battle, and Ephesians 6 describes your weaponry against the enemy. I've written a best-selling book that describes the full armor of God. It's called The Divine Defense, Six Simple Strategies for Winning Your Biggest Battles. And I'd be happy to send you a copy of my book when you give a generous gift to support the ministry of Pathway to Victory. In addition to receiving my book, you'll have the satisfaction of knowing that your generous gift is truly making a difference. To give you an example, I heard from Jody from North Carolina recently who said, Pastor Jeffers, I struggle almost every day with the attacks of Satan, praying off my insecurities and bad choices. Recently, I discovered your teaching series on the radio, The Divine Defense. Each study compelled me to do the work to change my life. Today, my life has been lifted. Isn't that a great testimony to hear? Thank you, friends, for financially investing in Pathway to Victory. Because of your gifts, we're reaching people just like Jody and countless others, allowing God to pierce the darkness with the light of His Word.
1: David? Thanks, Dr. Jeffers. You're invited to request a copy of Dr. Jeffers' best-selling book, The Divine Defense, when you give a generous gift to support the ministry of Pathway to Victory. Just call 866-999-2965 or go to ptv.org. Now, when your gift is $75 or more, we'll also send you, in addition to the book, this month's teaching series on CD and DVD. It's also called The Divine Defense. To request the CD and DVD set, call 866-999-2965 or online, go to ptv.org. Or, you're always welcome to write. Address your envelope to P.O. Box 223-609, Dallas, Texas, 75222. Again, that's P.O. Box 223-609, Dallas, Texas, 75222. I'm David J. Mullins. Join us again next time when Dr. Jeffress shares Satan's third and perhaps most dangerous tactic in his plan to ruin our lives. It's a message called The Temptation Equation. You can hear that right here Friday on Pathway to Victory. Pathway to Victory with Dr. Robert Jeffress comes from the pulpit of the First Baptist Church of Dallas, Texas.